please join me for a word of prayer as we remain standing. This from Psalm 147, which I was reading this morning, appropriate for uh, today. The Lord gives snow like wool. He scatters the ice like crumbs of bread. And then he sends out his word and melts them. We pray that would be true this morning, that you would send out your word and melt our hearts with love of you. Amen. Please be seated. Welcome to Christ the King. This morning, we are in a sermon series on the I Am statements of Jesus. These are a series of statements in John's Gospel in which Jesus says, I am, and fill in the blank with any number of things. A few weeks ago, Jesus, we thought about the statement, I am the bread. I am the light the next Sunday. Then the, just last week, we thought about the statement, I am the good shepherd. And in each of these, think, think of it as a, you know, my young kids in first grade, second grade, they always have some introduction at the beginning of class. They get up and say, hi, I am Susie, and I am whatever, and they fill in the blank. And they fill in the blank for, to help the class get to know them. And whatever it is they say is important to them, right? They don't just pick some, it's I am Susie, and I am, you know, they say something that's important to them. And it's the same thing for these statements of Jesus. I am, these statements help us know who he is. And they're important to him. They're how he wants us to know him. And so again, these, all these statements. And in all the statements thus far, the metaphors have worked in a particular direction. So bread, uh, light, a shepherd. Right, so Jesus points at the shepherd and says, I am a shepherd, or I am the bread. And we can look at bread and we think, yes, I understand that. Bread is something you have to eat. You have to eat regularly. You, it's one of the staples of life. And so the metaphor works fairly simply. Uh, I need Jesus like, to nourish my soul like I need bread to nourish my physical body. Right? So we look at bread, light, a shepherd, to help us understand who Jesus is. Now we come to this statement, I am the resurrection and I am the life. And here's the problem with that statement, is you can't point to anything that says, ah, that's the resurrection. You can't point to anything and say, ah, that's the life. Point to things that are alive, but what would you point to and say, that right there is life. You see, this metaphor works the opposite direction. We don't look at, we look at Jesus to help us understand what life is. We look at Jesus to help us understand what resurrection is, rather than looking at bread to help us understand. Everybody get where we're going? So we're gonna do two things. We're gonna look at what, we're gonna help, we're gonna ask Jesus to help us to find these two words. Resurrection, life, we're gonna see what that means for us, and then I'm gonna draw two implications of how you and I should live if these things were true, and I'm gonna make reference to where we are as a church family in our search for property. Uh, so you can get ready for that, it's coming. Um, Let's go ahead and jump right in. Martha is, uh, meets Jesus on the road. Her brother, Lazarus, has been dead for four days, and that means he was really dead, fully dead. If you've seen The Princess Bride, how dead is he? He's completely, he was fully dead, four days in the tomb. And at that moment, Martha meets Jesus on the road and has a very tender conversation. Uh, even now, I know that whatever you ask, you will give to, your father will give to you. Uh, do you believe in the resurrection? Yes, I believe that Jesus, that my brother will rise on the last day. And that is a good answer. That's an accurate answer. 
And Jesus says, stop right there. I am the resurrection. That, that idea that you have of the hope for the future that's articulated in the passage from Ezekiel of bones coming to bone and sinew coming on sinew and the dead rising again, that's me. You want to know what resurrection means? Look at me. Jesus defines resurrection. So let's ask Jesus to help us define the word on Good Friday, Jesus died. Three days later, Jesus rose from the grave. Every gospel, I shouldn't say every gospel, John's gospel in particular draws our attention to the fact that Jesus ate fish. Jesus ate bread as a resurrect, after his resurrection. Now why would you waste ink? Of all the things that the resurrected Lord was to do, why waste ink telling us that he ate fish? This is in John chapter 21, verse 12. Come, have some fish with me. Well, here's why. The Gospels emphasize the culinary habits of the risen Lord to emphasize his physical nature. Ghosts don't eat. Only flesh and blood eats. Jesus helps us understand resurrection. Resurrection does not mean that Jesus came back as a Casper the Friendly Ghost. It's not the survival of the soul. Resurrection means that something happened on Easter morning, unforeseen, unpredicted, completely miraculous. Jesus died and came back to full life, never to die again. He's not resuscitated. The life that began on Easter morning is a new life, never to die. In some ways, he looks like his own, his own uh, physical life. Touch the scars on my hands. Put your hand in my side. In some ways, he's completely and radically transformed. He is a new life that will never die. What does resurrection mean? Jesus says, look at me. Look at what will happen to me. I am resurrection. Secondly, Jesus says, I am life. Again, what do you point to and say, yeah, that's life right there. Jesus says, I'm life. You want to know what life looks like? Look at me. Uh, this we're offering a class in education and formation called the Worries of the World. We're helping, anxiety is just uh, all over the place. And so as a church, we want to think about the resources you and I have to address anxiety. Our teacher last Sunday began with the class with this statement. If you had to pick one word to describe Jesus, what would that word be? And she, quoting Dallas Willard, said, I would choose the word relaxed. Surprising. That's not the first thing I would think of when I think of Jesus, but it, it's, it's got a fair shot of being a, a good candidate for one word. Jesus was relaxed. He was untroubled. He was unfazed. Not worried. Let me suggest another word as a good candidate for one word to describe Jesus. How about happy? Happy gets a bad rap. In some churches, you're supposed to be joyful, not happy. I think happy is a great word. Happy is something that I think typifies the life of Christ. Let me read from G.K. Chesterton. If you've been around, you've heard this before. It's one of my favorite assessments of what it may have been like to be around the Lord. Chesterton writes this, by the way, in your sermon notes. You can follow along if you'd like. If they're in the back of your service leaflet. His pathos was natural. That means his passions were natural. He never concealed his tears. 
And this story of the death of Lazarus, we read Jesus wept. He was moved into his, uh, he was moved deeply. He was not afraid of showing his tears. He never restrained his anger. He flung down furniture from the front steps of the temple, yet, um, excuse me, he flung down furniture from the front steps of the temple, yet he restrained something. I say it with reverence. There was something in that shattering personality, a thread that must be called shyness. There was something that Jesus hid from all men when he went up to pray. There was some one thing that was too great for God to show us when he walked upon our earth, and I have sometimes fancied that it was his mirth. His mirth, his joy, his love of life, his ease of laughter. He was a friend of sinners. He welcomed the children. He spoke with commanding authority. He was a servant of all. You know, when you say someone's a life of the party, what do you mean? You mean there's something, there's a natural charisma, there's a natural gravitational pull uh, that you just want to be with them. And I think this, you could certainly say more, but Jesus, the self-description as the life means that you and I, at our best, would have enjoyed his company. The life of the party. Not this, not to, I hope that doesn't sound too trivial. He was more than that, certainly not less. You want to know what life is? Look at me, says Jesus. You want to know what resurrection is? Look at me. I'll define it for you. And then further, and as our passage goes, Jesus tells us these two things that he defines that we can share in verse 25. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Everyone who lives in me shall never die. Those very things that define Jesus can be true of you. The life that Jesus will begin in you is a life that will be briefly interrupted by death, but it will go on for eternity. And the the tether that connects us to Jesus that allows us to be a little bit of who he is is faith. Whoever believes in me, that is a tether that ties us to him. For Christmas, I got a, a, a uh, you may have heard of these, these are called iPhones. iPhones do not have, and your phones in general, do not have life in themselves. They run out of juice. Therefore, you have to plug them into the wall. They have to get their energy source from someplace else. Faith is that tether that ties us to the energy source. Uh, faith is that tether that ties us to Christ. And we're tethered to Christ by doing things that we're doing now. Coming to church, singing hymns, uh, gathering around his table to be nourished by the body and blood. We tether ourselves to Jesus by faith and these means uh, by which we strengthen our faith in him. All right? So here's what our passage says. Jesus defines resurrection. Jesus defines life. And then he tells us how you and I can participate in what he has, and that is through faith. And now the question that I want to ask in our time remaining is, so what? What does it look like? Again, these phrases are vague. Life, resurrection. What would it look like for you and me to live as if we were actually tethered, connected to the power source, connected to Jesus, who is resurrection and who is life. I want to make two suggestions. This is certainly not exhaustive by any stretch of the imagination, but as our church has gone through a very serious time as we pursue a church home, here are two things that I have thought of. If you and I were connected to Jesus, who is resurrection and who is life, we would first of all be adventurous. Adventurous. Let me explain. Look in your sermon notes, and I include a, 
Another quote from one of famous old dead guy. His name is Athanasius. He wrote around the year 300. And this is how Athanasius describes the cross and the resurrection. Listen to what he says. He says, a generous wrestler, means a strong wrestler, virile and strong, does not choose himself his antagonist, lest it should be thought of some that he is afraid. Rather, he lets the spectators choose him, and all the more if the spectators are hostile, so that he may overthrow whomsoever they match against him. So it is with Jesus. He did not choose the manner of his own death. What the author is saying is the death from which Jesus rose, from which he was resurrected, was not your average death. He didn't go off into the corner and die of old age. He doesn't have a peaceful, quiet death. He died a horrible death. He died, the Romans were notorious for the awful ways that they killed people. And the cross was up there as the most awful. And this author is saying, you want to know how tough Jesus is? Look, just look at what he rose from. You know the stories of the early church? They were undaunted. They, had a, they, they were unflappable. They had a courage that was just contagious. And why? Because they knew that the one that they followed was a conqueror. He just didn't rise from the grave. He rose from that grave. If you and I were tied to someone who was the resurrection and the life, you and I would have that same type of undaunted courage. Let me talk a little bit about where we are as a property, uh, as, we, we, as a church home, as we strive for a, a permanent church home. A few weeks ago, our realtor told us of the delta that he thought we would need to hit in order to make a, a, a viable offer. Excuse me, he told us the price we would need to offer in order to make a viable offer on the property. And the difference between what we had and the difference between what we needed was substantial. And our first gut reaction was to think, no way. Couldn't, can't do it. Why bother? And at a very pivotal vestry meeting, the leaders of the church and the property search committee said, why not? Let's give it a shot. Let's have a, try to tap into a little bit of that undaunted courage that has marked the church. And I don't want to steal the thunder of the property search committee that will make an announcement, but thank God that through your generosity and God's faithfulness, we've hit the goal that we've, we think we need to hit. That doesn't, there's no guarantees, uh, but it is so easy for us to have an attitude of why bother? I know we've all been kicked around by life a bit. Why bother? We must say no to that attitude of pessimism and defeatism and catastrophizing. Yes, not why not, not why bother, but instead why not. You know the great story of Sarah and Abram. Sarah's old, doesn't have any children. God told Sarah, you'll have a child. Sarah laughs. She was in the why bother camp. That story gives rise to one of the great passages of scripture. Is anything impossible with God? No. You and I need to be the type of people who think, why not? Instead of why bother? So there's a spirit of adventure. Secondly, second 
characteristic of those people who are tied to Jesus, who is the direction and is the life, I think will be laughter. People who know that Jesus is life should laugh. I know there's other things, but I think laughter is pretty darn important. I remember two of the three pieces of advice that my pastor told me when we were married. He said, hold hands and laugh. He said, David, you know, life is serious. You have your ups and downs. It's just good for you to laugh. And he's right. Maybe you know the book by C.S. Lewis, Screwtape Letters. That's the advice of one demon to another. So all the advice is bad advice, so it's a devil advising a devil. And the devil writes this, what causes laughter we do not know. Something like laughter is expressed in the detestable art which the humans call music, and something like it occurs in heaven. Laughter does us demons no good. <laughs> laughter should always be discouraged. Besides, the phenomenon of laughter is of itself disgusting, and it is a direct insult to the realism to the dignity and to the austerity of hell. Maybe you know the quote, the devil, the proud soul, he cannot stand to be mocked. I know there's times that aren't appropriate for laughter. I'm not suggesting that we should be glib, but laughter's good. It reminds us that we don't know all the answers. It reminds us that we're not in control. At the end of the significant vestry meeting that I referenced, when we set this ambitious goal, one of the vestry members sent around a, 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 a text and it said, uh, you know, the pessimist says my glass is half empty. The optimist says my glass is half full, but the Christian says my cup runneth over. Ha ha ha, right? Um, it's just a little well-placed humor. And laughter could be a sign that we are tethered by faith to Jesus, the life, who I imagine laughed quite a bit. Let me come to a conclusion as we draw our thoughts to uh, close. There's a, a most Woody Allen movies are, are funny, but they're kind of depressing. And I think it's uh, Annie Hall he won a, a, a Best Picture for. He's sitting across the table from his date, and they talk about their meal, and Woody Allen's character says, you know, life is kind of like this meal. The portions are bad, and the food's terrible. Same reaction at the night, no one laughed. That's kind of funny. The portions are terrible, or that the food's terrible, and the portions are too small. It'll, like when you're driving home, maybe the penny will drop. It's a, <laughs> And at our most skeptical, at our most cynical, we can begin to have that type of attitude about life. Too short, not very good. And that type of defeatism is just contradictory to the Christian faith. We must say no to defeatism, no to catastrophizing, no to sterile pessimism. We must tie ourselves by faith to Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. Please rise.